Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Issa Gucciardi. Issa is the founding director and lead teacher of the Foundation of the Sacred Stream. The workshops and training programs of the foundation are part of her larger vision for helping people who are interested in stepping into greater consciousness and leading happier lives. Her primary focus is on teaching, writing, and curriculum development. Issa is also the creator of the groundbreaking therapeutic model, Depth Hypnosis, which is born from her studies in transpersonal psychology, cultural and linguistic anthropology, comparative religion, hypnotherapy, and transformational healing. Issa has lived in 11 countries and she speaks five languages. The mother of two children, she is a potter and gardener, a stained glass artist, a piano enthusiast, and an herbalist. In addition to her busy teaching schedule, she has an active depth hypnosis counseling and consulting practice in San Francisco. So hello, Isa. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much, Jacob, for inviting me. So it's been um, a real pleasure these last couple of days, you know, reading up on you and watching the, the videos of some of your teachings and seeing a video of you at the SAND conference, which I'm very excited to attend actually myself uh, this year, later this year. Oh, that's Are you great. Gonna, will you be there? Yes, I'll be oh, amazing. again. Oh, that's oh, great. Excellent. We'll get to meet in person. I that's know. Great. It'll be wonderful. Yeah. So I would love to just hear first, before we talk about your work, um, the, the story of your life and sort of what's led you to the work that you do. Ah, the story of my life. Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, when I was writing the introduction to my book, Coming to, the P Coming to Peace, which just came mm. out, I realized that my early childhood really did drive my quest toward trying to understand how to bring peace, the, especially the peace that you find in nature, you know, the harmony that you find in nature into the affairs of human beings. Because mm -hmm. uh, as a child, I, of course, like many people, um, I had a situation in my family where there was a lot of conflict. And it was always so wonderful to be able to uh, be with the flowers and with the winds. I lived in Hawaii, so mm. you know, nature is kind of in your face. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know? So it's not too, too hard. So it was always like this, this sort of enveloping, you know, gentle uh, embrace of nature that was so compelling for me. And, you know, one of the things about nature is that things are really in harmony. Things mm. do work together. And at a very early age, I thought, well, how come there's all of this conflict, all of this sadness, all of this unhappiness with, with humans, and how come that doesn't exist in nature? And how can we bring the, the power of nature and the harmony and the beauty of nature into the way that humans relate to themselves and to each other? And I think that you know, that, that early experience with the power of nature was really like a beacon for me, you know, mm. always, I was always trying to find, okay, how do we find a system of thinking or a system of thought or a system of understanding that reflects this harmony that exists in human cultures? And I actually, my first academic degree was in cultural anthropology. And, you know, if I, if I ask myself now, I know that what I was doing there in those studies was looking for a culture that reflected this harmony with nature, trying to find a culture that had, that had embodied these qualities. And mm. Uh, mm. I, I didn't have 
a ton of luck with that. But, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was some, the what was the closest that you found? Well, in terms of, you know, in terms of my own personal experience uh, outside of my academic studies, uh, I was living as a child. Um, I was kind of left on this ranch in uh, northern Mexico, and you were the ranch, left. Yeah, I, I, you know, my. There was, a, there was always trying this effort to try to park me somewhere. Oh, and, uh, you know, I'm sorry. It was okay. It was okay. It was actually much better than being with my family. So it's fine. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so, um, so I was left for long periods of time at this ranch in northern uh, Mexico in the, in the Sierra Madre, where all the ranch hands were Huichol Indians. And mm. these people were really peaceful. I mean, yeah. they were just like very gentle and, you know, they, they would take time to teach me how to ride horses and, you know, they would teach me how to mill corn and they were just really nice. And mm. that was, that was pretty amazing to have that experience. And then later on, of course, I understood, you know, there, th that's a culture that is still very strongly connected to nature. And there's a strong tradition of plant medicine within that culture, which I think is, um, kind of fundamental to helping people stay connected. And, you know, in terms of my own studies academically, it was really the um, Hopi uh, culture that I had, you know, that I studied. And then I had some experience studying with Hopi uh, potters and Navajo potters, um, where I, I did also really feel um, that strong connection in, in real time, not just studying them academically. And then also the Aboriginal Australian uh, people um, mm -hmm. really seem to have a lot of peacefulness to them. And those cultures are very complex and very difficult for outsiders to completely understand. But, um, you know, I did spend time in Australia and I did spend time among a group of women, which, I mean, they were very kind to me, but, you know, they've had a lot of difficulty with outsiders. And so... I wasn't able to really feel like I was Included. totally at home. Yeah. yeah because yeah. I, you know, you know, unfortunately because of the history. So, um, so there's, there's some thoughts there for you yeah. about cultures that embody peace. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, it, it really resonates with a lot of the, 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 the work and the, and the teachings that I was watching the last couple of days on, on shamanism. Cause I know shamanism and the shamanic journeying practice plays a, um, a you know, a, a significant role in your own teaching, and the, you know the kind of philosophical backdrop or the understanding of reality. But I'm interested because you know when I first encountered you, there was a lot of Buddhist iconography right. around you, like behind you, right. and so I'm curious where Buddhism came into the picture and um, and how that connects because I don't often, you know, I, I feel like Buddhists can be sort of rather. Um, <laughs> colorless, you know, yeah. and you like, and nature is so full of color, you know, right, and, and so right. there's a monotone, you know, uh, there's a monotoneness to some of the Buddhist practices that I feel like, you know, the, the shamanism doesn't necessarily reflect. So I'm interested in your kind of ideas about the complementarity of these two paths. Okay, that's, uh, thank you so much for really listening so deeply to what's available and reading about me. I really appreciate your engagement. Um, Absolutely. Um, so, you know, when I wasn't totally satisfied in finding a culture that reflected this peacefulness, I decided to get another degree in comparative religion, thinking, mm. okay, 
there's going to be a religion that reflects this this harmony there's going to be uh, you know a, a way of being with spirit that that will reflect this and of course in many many traditions you have the mystical aspect of the tradition where this deep harmony with the deeper self emerges but the tradition that i found most embodied that throughout its practices was actually buddhism and i started studying um formally uh, when I was in my early 20s um, through, with Zen. Many, mm. many Americans are introduced to Buddhism through Zen and you know, this kind of, you know, kind of lifeless, colorless experience that you're talking about <laughs> comes, from, comes from the Zen tradition, which yeah. is an effort. You know, it's, part of their, it's part of their aesthetic to try to do away with any kind of distractions. You know, yeah. They're trying to get you know, have flat color, flat, you know, flat experience so that they're not distracted. Yeah. And I, I understand the effort, um, but I also understand that a lot of Zen was developed in tandem with, um, with some of the warrior traditions in, in Japan. And there is this kind of military aspect to it, mm. which I actually, you know, I, I myself am, you know, kind of an old warrior, you know, like I, I appreciate military discipline. And if you, if you talk to any of my students, they will tell you that, you know, I'm always saying, you know, you need to be disciplined in your spiritual practice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it, it really, I just, I just wasn't having enough fun. You know, <laughs> you know it wasn't, <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, I can get my mind to stop. I could, I could be sitting here looking at the wall. I, okay. I'm, I'm cool. All right. But everybody was kind of grumpy, you know, like in the, in the Zendo, you know, like the, the idea was to get to this place where you could, you know, be very quiet, yeah, very still, you know, and, and I, w I felt a little, you know, bored, like, well, not bored, but trapped. I felt yeah. trapped. Okay. And I mean, and I wasn't getting the good instruction that I needed to be able to drop into my deeper mind that, mm. of course, the idea of having this kind of flat aspect is so that you, again, are not distracted by the external world and you're able to drop into the deeper oneness. And I just, I needed a little more help. I just, mm. I, we, there weren't good teachers in the, in the Zendo where I was. I didn't know that at the time. I thought there was something wrong with me. Um, but I, I was very attracted to all the colors in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, like yeah. there was a lot going on in Tibetan Buddhism. And, um, and I began studying Tibetan Buddhism. I had had a strong connection with his holiness from the very beginning. And I had worked as a, an interpreter, a language interpreter, because I've lived in all these countries and speak all these languages. It was kind of a no brainer for me to work professionally as an interpreter. And um, in working with His Holiness's teachings, I immediately encountered uh, Tupten Jimpa, who is his um, primary English language interpreter. Mm -hmm. And I was primarily connecting with him as an interpreter at the time because my, my, my Buddhist practice was just beginning. And I can't tell you what a strong effect learning from him as an interpreter when even though he was working in different language sets than I worked in 
you know, understanding the way that he was translating the mind stream, not only the words, but the mind stream of his holiness and mm. understanding what he understood about the deeper teachings that he could transmit as he was translating. Mm. <clears throat> like I, there was this whole world that opened up to me and that was like Tibetan Buddhism has got something going on that, yeah. that, that I wasn't finding in Zen. And, um, so I started studying in depth and of course, Jimpa and, and his holiness were, you know, very big beacons for me. And, um, I, um, it was interesting because while I was still studying at Zen center, I, um, I was asked to arrange the flowers for the whole center every Friday. So I had to give up my practice and I was like, okay, I'll give up my practice in the morning to go to the flower market at 4 AM and buy, um, all these flowers. Mm -hmm. So that kind of kept me entertained for a while because I could bring all this color and I, you know, I have to tell you a secret. I, <laughs> I used to, <laughs> the whole world's going to know this secret now, but I would always kind of time it right when I knew that the, the main part of the ceremony was going to be going on in the, in the main zendo. So I would like open the door and come in with all these flowers. And woo! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's have some fun, <laughs> you yeah. know. And that wasn't highly appreciated, and I kind of got run out of town on a stick, but it was okay. <laughs> but but I I did find um, I did find a, a, a great deal of inspiration from Tibetan Buddhism, and the interesting thing about Tibetan Buddhism is that it has a very clear trajectory into the Vajrayana, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana, and the Tantrayana practices. These are these are practices that are more dynamic. They have a lot to do with the movement of the elements from one um, way of incarnation to another, and a lot of transfiguration and transmigration of the elements, ways of moving power from one field to another. Uh, a lot of work about the transformation of negativity in these transformational processes. And yeah. that is very shamanic. That is extremely shamanic. At the heart of Tantra is all of the practices that you find at the deeper levels of shamanic practice, which is the work with the elements, the work with transfiguration, the work with transmutation, the, the um, movement of uh, emotional and mental states from one place to another. Um, the whole idea uh, in shamanism, the idea is healing. But in, 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 uh, in Buddhism, they, the concept is liberation. Both of those things are what everyone needs, right? And so, you know, in shamanism, there's, as, as I say, this emphasis on healing what is. And in Buddhism, there's this liberation into what can be. And so when you have these two combinations, you really address some of the issues that you have in the modern time, especially with some of the Buddhist practices that lead to a little bit of spiritual bypass, you know, where if all you have to do is to get poker faced and calm, yeah. you know, in order to be a good practitioner, well, then what happens to all of those issues that are not being transformed, that you're laying this kind of uh, practice on top of and, um, you know, where you can just kind of pretend that all of those issues in your lower chakras are not existing and you just get your upper chakras, you know, steady and still, and then everybody thinks that you've got it figured out, you know, and yeah. I, you know, I find, I, I personally find that 
I, I feel really uncomfortable around those kinds of practices because you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit of a sensitive, you know, I'm a, I'm a little, you know, people call me psychic. I, I don't know if that's right or not. I probably am <laughs> pretty psychic. You, you probably are. <laughs> but, but it's like, if I'm sitting in a Zendo next to someone that I know has got anger issues and that they're, and I can feel the anger, you know, and yeah. then I'm feeling this overlay of all of this, you know, kind of like flattening of it, which is not actually helpful. But if you're working shamanically, you can go in to that anger and you can, you can let it express. And actually in depth hypnosis, which is the place where both of these practices meet uh, for, for me and for my students, you have these methods for working with the altered state in what Jimpa calls a creative way which I really appreciate the way that he understood, you know, the, the work of, of the hypnotic suggestions to help a person open. And then they can go kind of sail into some of these strong emotional states. And then you've got the shamanic methods, these dynamic methods, like, you know, the, the methods of curing the soul that shamanism has, where you kind of set off these different transformation processes and then you have this arrival at this greater self-awareness as that pain is transformed, which then broadens the state of consciousness, which brings you into a state of greater liberation and a, great, a greater sense of understanding of yourself and others and your relationship to reality, which of course is the heart of Buddhist practice right mm -hmm. so we bring we bring it all together and we have this you know i mean it's very serious business when you're going into the heart of a person's personal hell you know and so many people live in such an isolated way you yeah. know in the in these internal hells you know and it's mm. and it's it's so wonderful to be able to have a process that where they feel held you know, through the shamanic work, they are able to connect with a sense of guidance internally. And through the Buddhist work, they're able to touch their sense of Buddha nature, this yeah. aspect of themselves that is, that is uh, compassionate and wise and exists in an unchanging way behind all of the winds of karma that are making them suffer. So we have, in depth hypnosis, we have practices that help people connect in a very visceral and dynamic way with both of these aspects of experience, the guidance that comes in the form generally of nature, and then the experience of the Buddha nature. So that you have these mm. strong cushions so that, and these strong supports so that when you're dealing with, like say for instance, you're dealing with self-loathing which is something that i think that most westerners deal with unfortunately yeah and you know they it, this self-loathing just has all these different manifestations you know in terms of you know chronic fatigue depression anxiety you know at the heart of a lot of that is a conflicted relationship with the self mm. and so when you have these um very powerful um connecting experiences before you begin that transformational work then the um then you can go quite deeply you can go very deeply into the heart 
of the negativity that is generating the unhappiness that is being characterized by whatever symptom the person is bringing. Mm. And so you, you know, we, we set off these little, you know, transformational processes. And then we have something that we use called insight inquiry, which is a way of integrating the experience, which is actually based on Vipassana methods of meditation, which um, are themselves generally uh, engaged in in an internal way. In, in Vipassana meditation, what you're doing is you are making an inquiry into the nature of your experience. And when you're working in Vipassana, you're always interested in understanding how one experience opens or relates to another experience that might offer insight about it. So that meditative process is something that is usually practiced in traditional Buddhist circles alone. But yeah. in depth hypnosis, what we do is we bring that inquiry into an, a dynamic, inter, you know, interpersonal dynamic, so that a person who doesn't have a Buddhist practice can actually use the depth hypnosis practitioners disciplined practice in this way as, as a ground. And then the, the questioning when the, the, all the questioning is based on the person's experience. And then any question is based on the answer to the previous question. And so when they've had these dynamic transformational processes that can be, you know, a lot for people at the beginning, you know, once they learn how to go through it again and again that, you know, people want to do it again and again. And people yeah. come to the classes and we're just like doing, like yesterday we were in advanced um, applied shamanism. There was one process after another, you know, people are like, okay, I want to go on to the next thing. I want to go on to the next thing. Here's this thing that's coming out of this particular process. I want to address it there. And so we were, you know, you know, when people really get into the stream of it, they really, you know, they understand the liberative qualities of it. But when a person's just beginning, it's like, that's a lot. I need to talk. We need to integrate. And that is completely understandable and completely appropriate and totally necessary in order for the person to be able to move on to the next layer of negativity that might need to be transformed in order to completely relieve them of their symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so that, that insight integration, uh, the insight inquiry process uh, where we're using those Vipassana methods interpersonally is very, very valuable. But again, that's, that's a use of Buddhist practice in a very modern context. Yeah. And um, that, is, that is the hallmark of depth hypnosis is where we are, are using many of the principles and philosophies of Buddhist practice and the depth of Buddhist practice and bringing the fruits of that to Westerners who may not have either the interest or the capability to develop that deep disciplined practice at the outset. But one of the things that happens when you're working in depth hypnosis is that the more work you do with a practitioner, the more work you can do on your own. And the more you begin to realize those symptoms that I came into depth hypnosis for depth hypnosis, into depth hypnosis for help with, are actually the tip of the iceberg. They are the doorway into my deeper self. And I want to be able to learn how to follow that path into my deeper self on my own. 
-hmm. and that we totally encourage that. We, you know, we're always looking for the client to own their own process, to become independent in their own inquiry. And so then, you know, as time goes on, people, you know, you know, almost always within five to six sessions in depth hypnosis, the symptoms are relieved. But then there's this deeper world that opens and people find they're sort of like, they're sort of like ducks kind of going into the stream. And then they're like, you know, they're swimming along on their own and, and they just might need one practice here or one practice there or one class here to inform them about this one thing they're doing or this class here, which informs them about another aspect of their experience that they can then take in with deeper self-inquiry. So, um, you know, depth as you know, this is all a long way to say. I'm trying to give you all these different ways in which the 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 healing focus of shamanism and the liberative qualities of Buddhism come to bear on the transformational processes that you find in depth hypnosis that people come for help with. My right ear. So one of the things I I wanted to ask that you mentioned, and I'd love just to hear a little bit more about it, is. Um, Actually, I have two questions, but I'll ask the first one. So the first one is is related to this this thing you mentioned about in the in the in the Western world. We're seeing a lot of one of the primary issues is this self loathing, and I'm just I was just sort of curious when you mentioned that, you know, from your perspective, from your perspective and your understanding of you know cultural anthropology and history, what has contributed to this pervasive self loathing? Well, I think that the nature of the culture in the West is, has a lot to do with it. Um, mm. There's several different aspects of the cultural environment here that kind of feed this. Um, one aspect is actually, even though we're a secular culture, theoretically, there is a strong basis, even within the founding of the country, of uh, a religious experience which is based you know on a puritanical idea of um you know you shouldn't have too much fun you shouldn't be too happy you should you know strive and work hard and if you're not there's something wrong with you right and then we have the overlay of course of the catholic christian ideas that you know you're born in sin Mm -hmm. and that this is something that you have to overcome and you have to work really hard to overcome it, but you probably aren't going to have any luck with that um, unless you totally give it up to this idea of God, which you have to actually go through a priest in order to get to. And, you know, that's, that's, those are pretty big hurdles to try to get, (laughs) you know, into any kind of place where you're okay, you know? (laughs) And, um, you know, again, even though we're a secular country, these are strong forces in the yeah. culture. And then within the, the more secular aspects, you have this emphasis on being independent, making it on your own, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, you know making it happen. And so you have that set of cultural values that people, you know, compare themselves to and find themselves lacking. And then you have the whole consumer culture, which is, you know, if you don't have this particular car, you know, you're not a good enough person. I, you know, I think that the Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, you know, can't get no satisfaction. I think that song is, you know, very much still in the consciousness, you know, like there's all these things that, you know, I do them and I'm supposed to do them, but, and I do them, but I still not satisfied. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's therefore something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So these are all, I mean, I've just mentioned four different streams uh, that are major contributors to the zeitgeist of this culture that would lead a person to think that there's something wrong with them. And, and that deep internal, di deeper internal dialogue that most of us actually ignore, or if we are aware of it, we try to deny and if we can't deny it, we often move into addictive processes to try to get away from it. Yeah. And that internal process is an internal voice that says, you know, you're not as, you're not as good looking as that guy. You know, you don't have the house that that person has. You're not really everything you say you are. You know, there's like this, yeah. this kind of drone of like, you're not, you're not all that, are you? that goes on inside and and often people are only aware of the part of themselves that is receiving that message through the depression or through the anxiety that they come in for help with they're not aware of the fact that they're allowing this critical voice to kind of run rampant in their internal world and kind of rip up their sense of well-being mm. And a big part of what we do in depth hypnosis is we work to change the relationship between those two internal parts, or we look to relieve the person of that critical voice through shamanic processes of moving energies from one place to another so that they have, so that they have this kind of release of this tension internally, which then allows for the upwelling of the deeper experience to come up to be understood and examined. Mm -hmm. So I understand, you know, as you were explaining before that the, that there's a, you know, there's a fruitful intersection of a number of different practices. But when I see, you know, the word hypnosis, I, I sort of think of, or I'm sure many people think of like someone in an armchair with something, you know, being waved in front of their eyes and, you know, you're, hip you're being hypnotized. So I take it that this is not exactly the idea. So what is the role of, what is the meaning of that word hypnosis in the context of this kind of a process? I'm so glad you, you, asked, you asked that question. Your questions are like really to the point. Um, so I, I named this process depth hypnosis because I know that people have a little bit of, you know, trepidation about hypnosis because of all of the stage hypnotists that yeah. happen where people are required to give up their power uh, and their will to the hypnotist. I know that, and I can talk at length about that and those processes and how depth hypnosis is different. But um, the, the thing about hypnosis is, on the one hand, there is that cultural idea of hypnosis. But on the other hand, when people are having trouble, like with an addiction or with fear of flying or a fear of public speaking, they do think about hypnosis as a way to overcome that. Mm. And so I wanted to have something that was in the cultural vernacular sure. that would people would be able to relate to. And I understand that it's a little bit on the edge of, of the vernacular, but it still is there as a therapeutic idea. So that's why I kept the concept of hypnosis. It's, it's much more adaptable to the Western frame of mind than shamanism or buddhism actually right yeah. mm -hmm. so and i i always say that depth hypnosis is a good front end 
you know, and it mm. makes it look like I actually know something about computers, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, um, so, um, but it is a good front end because it is an access point. People think, okay, if I'm going to stop smoking, I'm going to go to a hypnos a hypnotist, right? Yeah. So, but they don't understand that when they get in to looking at what is going on with why they're smoking, that there's actually a whole world there. Like, you know, in depth hypnosis, you can go two different ways. You can go with the suggestion hypnosis, which is the way that most people do know uh, about hypnosis. When they think of hypnosis, they think about suggestion hypnosis. You know, you're talking about, you know, you're yeah. looking at this clock, you're feeling sleepy, you're going to sleep, and I'm going to give you these suggestions as you're, as you're focused inward, and you're going to change your relationship to this habit, and you're going to find yourself that you're not actually wanting to do this habit anymore and you find yourself changing your ideas about who you are you know like you go into this whole thing yeah. that where where and that in-depth hypnosis is very in a very important process but it's not the only process and one thing that i would also say is that with most hypnosis processes you have a canned script script that someone else has written that has no idea why you're smoking or has no idea why you are overeating. They're just these canned suggestions. Yeah. But in depth hypnosis, we spend quite a bit of time empowering the client to understand what are the reasons behind their smoking and what would be the thing that would ameliorate that reason, right? Mm. And then we base the suggestions on the answers to those questions. And then we do the suggestion hypnosis while the person is in that deep altered state. So that, that is a very important aspect of depth hypnosis, quite different from regular suggestion hypnosis. But also in depth hypnosis, there's this other place. So for instance, I was working with this woman who was, she'd been to all kinds of hypnotists to try to stop smoking. And she's decided to try to give depth hypnosis a shot. So um, when we sat down to ask her, we have these series of questions that we ask, they're called the biography of the presenting problem. And I asked her, you know, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish by smoking, which is one of the questions that's in mm. the biography of the presenting problem. And she said, well, you know, I never said it out loud before, but the truth is if I'm smoking, everybody leaves me alone. Mm. Okay. Wow, okay. All right. So then the question is, what makes you want to have everyone leave you alone? Right. And then we kind of unravel this whole thing where she doesn't feel like she has good boundaries and that the only way that she knows how to put down a boundary to someone who's harming her is to get away. And that she, and she uses the smoking to get away. And then it becomes, it had become this habit of just staying away from people so that she didn't have to navigate the confusion that she felt around maintaining personal boundaries. Okay. Mm. So that is huge, right? Yeah. Looks like you're just lighting up, but look at all of that experience that's being addressed with the cigarettes. So then what we do in depth hypnosis, I mean, we, you know, we could take that information and do some suggestions with it. But in depth hypnosis, we actually engage the client in helping them go to the situation or circumstance where they were first or most significantly feeling, like in this case, the confusion about how to maintain a personal boundary. 
So we, we actually generate, we actually illuminate that confusion. We make it stronger after having the person connect with inner guidance, as I mentioned before, usually in the form of nature so that they feel supported. And then we would locate that confusion in the body, use the body as the doorway to an experience in the person's younger adulthood, their childhood, maybe even in their infancy or in their mother's womb, or even in depth hypnosis in a past life experience. We do do past life regressions in depth hypnosis. And then they find themselves in that generating experience. And then we do some processes to help them change the relationship to that generating experience, then give them suggestions to solidify that change and bring them out into gently out into ordinary consciousness again. And that whole time when we're working in the way that I just described, the person is working in a light trance. They're not in that deeper trance that the person is in with suggestion hypnosis. They're in a place that I like to call the literal zone, L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L. That's the place where the sand meets the sea, where the sandpipers run. So you have the depth of the unconscious experience, uh, which is, could be the sea, and then you have the organizing experience of the conscious mind, mm-hmm. which is the sand. And yeah. so we're running like the sandpipers in that place with the, with the light trance, doing the work that I just described. Wow, that's such a beautiful description. So when you mentioned here in terms of the inner guiding, the inner guidance that's established through relationship with nature, is this a reference to the shamanic journeying process? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that, but I think actually before we specifically focus on shamanic journeying, just because we've actually never talked about shamanism on this podcast, and I know, know we've been talking about it the whole time, but I'd love to just sort of define it and unpack it in a very clear way you know what is the conception of reality according to you know according to shamanism and and then and then and then if, and then we can move into sort of like what the role then of journeying is in the in the shamanic process certainly um, shamanism is a practice that is at the heart of all educational ministerial problem solving healing divination processes that are found in 95% of the cultures that have ever been on the planet, all the indigenous cultures that have ever been on the planet. And the really interesting thing about shamanism is that it is so widespread and that it emerges independently. And the practices within shamanic practice are very similar in those manifestations that are appearing independently in time and space in Siberia in Africa in Australia North America there are so many practices that are so similar in all of these traditions especially when it comes to healing mm. and you have to ask what is the reason for that what what is the common root and of course the common root is the earth herself mm-hmm. And so in shamanic practice, there is this understanding in all shamanic cultures, there's an understanding that we have the natural world around us. And we also have the, which we experience physically, materially, but it's also understood that there's another aspect of nature, which is more ineffable and unseen. Yeah. 
And in traditional cultures, this is called a spirit of nature. So you have the tree, and then you have the spirit of the tree. Mm. And then you have the lake, and you have the spirit of the lake. And in shamanic practice, the idea is to connect deeply with the with the spirits, the unseen, ineffable aspect of nature, and bring the teachings from those ineffable guides or spirits. They're called often called helping spirits into the affairs of human beings. And this is the shaman's practice. This is what a shaman does. And the word shaman itself is a Mongolian language word called um, Tunga, Tungus, I believe is the name of the language. And the name shaman or the word shaman is translated as he or she who knows. Mm. And so what does the shaman know? The shaman knows and understands about the interface between the unseen world and the seen world. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is what shamanic practice is all about. So if you're dealing with an illness, it's manifesting physically. The shaman would work with the underlying ineffable unseen processes that are driving the physical illness with the intercession of the helping spirits. And mm. that is what would be healing um, in shamanic practice. Beautiful. Beautiful. So then what is the role then <clears throat> of the shamanic journeying process why would one and 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 then i'd like to sort of segue that that into a conversation around what that kind of aug you know for someone who has an existing meditation practice and they think you know meditation is is good enough for me you know <laughs> what would what would you say about you know that what shamanic journeying contributes to kind of the process of awakening or or opening up Okay, so I'll answer the first part first and the second part second. Yeah, why not? (laughs) That seems logical. (laughs) It doesn't always work that way, but in this case, I think we can manage that. (laughs) Um, so, um, So the shamanic journey is a method of altering the state of consciousness where uh, one uses some kind of repetitive sound in order to make that shift in consciousness. Usually it's a drum or a rattle or mm. chanting. And that focuses, that sound focuses the journeyer's attention inward. And um, in shamanic practice, again, through many different cultures on many different continents, you have a description of a three-part world an inner cosmography, which is described as the upper, middle, and lower world. And it's in this inner cosmography relationships with the spirits of nature. And um, in order to be able to work with these helping spirits, the shaman has to develop a strong connection with them. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole initiatory process that these inner spirits or inner forms of guidance put the journeyer through in order to be able to hold the power of those spirits and to be able to direct them in an effective way into the affairs of people. So this is the role of the shamanic journey. It's the method through which the shaman or the journeyer, or the shamanic practitioner establishes relationship with these forms of inner guidance that take the form of nature. Mm. So, so that's, that's the journey. 
Yeah, and what are the do, the, do the three tiers, you mentioned the lower, the middle, and the upper, do those, you know, kind of loosely correspond to the psychological um, associations that are, that are associated with the various chakras at the, the lower chakras, the heart, we might say, is the middle and then the upper, or no? No. No, no. From a, from a shamanic perspective, actually, that inner cosmography actually arises from the experience of the physical world, where you have the upper world, the sky, the okay. middle world, the earth, and the lower world, the world beneath the earth. That's, that's, the, that's the, the corresponding paradigm. Yeah. I see. Okay. And then in terms of, yeah, any other question? Oh, yeah. no, that, yeah, you can go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't have a question. <laughs> and so, so the second question, okay, all righty. So then the second question you had was, you know, what's the difference between shaman, uh, shamanic journey and meditation? You know, mm -hmm. what, you know, what, what, what are they both used for? And this is actually a question I think that's a very important question to ask. Um, one thing that I would say is that it's important to understand that all of the work at the foundation is about working in different states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Whether we're teaching classes on energy medicine, where you have to shift your perception in order to be able to perceive the fields of sound or light that are, uh, can be directed into the manifestation of imbalance in order to cure or help or you know, improve the condition. Or if you're working in the shamanic practice where you're working with the journey, where you're working in the way that I just described to alter your state of consciousness, or whether you're working with hypnosis in order to be able to alter the state of consciousness with the suggestions, or whether you're studying Buddhism at the foundation where you're learning how to do shamatha meditation, which is a process of quieting the mind, and then further Vipassana meditation, and then deity meditation. There's much mm. deeper levels of meditation that we study in Buddhist practice. In all of these academic programs here at the foundation of the sacred stream, we're working with one aspect of the state of altered state of consciousness or another. Okay. And they all have validity. So for instance, if someone, and, and we use them all therapeutically. So for instance, the difference between, you know, why would you use a meditative technique as opposed to a shamanic journey technique when you're trying to help a person come out of a particular uh, set of symptoms that they're trapped in. So for instance, if uh, we're working with someone that has a lot of anxiety, like OCD, can't yeah. stop, gotta do this, can't, you know, have to be vigilant, you know, and if I don't do this particular thing in this particular way, something really bad is gonna happen. In that case, you don't want to engage their mind in the way that you would engage it in the shamanic journey immediately because their mind has to be engaged and clear to be able to connect with a helping spirit. You would want to work with the shamatha where you help them focus only on the breath or only on a mantra or only on even a flame of light if they can't close their eyes. Mm -hmm. And you get them to like learn how to let go of their thoughts and then just come back to that focus. And that process of uh, shamatha meditation is a very important process for almost everyone. Um, and in that case, we're using it therapeutically to bring down the disruption on the mental sphere that the OCD is causing, right? 
But in general, most people have got this kind of thing going on internally. And yeah. <laughs> they have trouble, you know, they, they, you know, I, for, for people who are listening on the audio, I'm kind of shaking my hand in a, in a tremorous and nervous way. Um, <laughs> so, so most people's minds are doing that. You know, it's like in, in, in Zen, they call this the monkey mind, you know, yeah. I should have done that and you should have done this. And then if I had done this, it would have been all better. And we do it again. We'll do it, try it this way. Right. Yeah. So you need to bring that down. And so shamanic, uh, shamanic practice can help with that. But the shamatha practice of bringing the breath down and bringing the attention to the breath and focusing there helps kind of create a new tableau or screen that you can begin to observe yourself through. And mm. that is very helpful. And it it and of course that's just the beginning in shamana in uh, in meditative practice. The shamatha practice gets you to the place where you can then begin to hone your mind to begin to investigate your internal experience through vipassana, mm. and that is a very helpful process, and it can create deep and powerful insights. And then in Mahayana Buddhism and Vajrayana Buddhism, you have the processes of deity meditation, which are yeah. extremely shamanic in nature, yeah. where you are embodying the power of the, the different deities. Like, for instance, you have Green Tara, which is like a savioress, a earth goddess that's a savioress, who's compassionate in nature and is often called upon to help those in distress. But the thing is, if you were to try to do deity meditation from the monkey mind place, you would go into delusion, right? Mm. So you need to have the discipline of the shamatha settling the mind, the vipassana investigating the sources of the unsettled mind, and then getting to this place of greater clarity so that you can actually tolerate the influx of the power of the deity into your meditative state without fracturing right mm. so that that that's the meditative process that is very helpful now with the shamanic journey a lot of westerners like the journey process more because they can actually go more deeply into the issues that they're dealing with at least the way that we work with it here at the foundation of the sacred stream. Now I have to say immediately, the way that we work with the journey at the foundation of the sacred stream is, includes traditional shamanic practice, but it is again infused and informed by Buddhist practice. Mm -hmm. Because what we do is we work with the journey as a vehicle of self evolution which is not the way that the journey is used in a traditional setting. I in see. a traditional setting, the journey is used to gather power in terms mm. of gathering connections with helping spirits in order to be able to accomplish tasks with the help of the helping spirits that are generally focused on divination, trying to figure out what's going on non-locally in time and space, or helping spirits of the dead who have passed and are having difficulty or helping someone who's dealing with a fever come out of that fever. You know, those are the kinds of things. Again, that's not the typical use of the journey, but at the foundation in the applied shamanism program, we are working immediately with the journey 
as soon as we establish relationship with the guide in the form of nature, we are asking questions like, what is the source of my anxiety? Or, you know, what, what is the root of my panic? Or what, what are the conditions around choosing this particular professional path? You know, these are the kinds of things that we, that we, the way that we work with the journey, which is not typical at all. Yeah. But, um, but they both have their place. You can see they both have their place in a spiritual practice. And my students, you know, it's so funny because, you know, like, I'm like, okay, you have to develop a daily spiritual practice. That's really not negotiable. I don't, you know, like you have to do this, you know, it's like, this is what's going to be transformative. And they're, they're like, okay, okay. But what do we do? What do we do? We do a journey. Do we watch our dreams? The dream practice is a huge part of, of depth hypnosis. And there's a tremendous amount of, of um, this is another one of the altered states that we work with that I didn't mention previously, but it's hugely important. And tracking one's dreams and receiving the messages and learning how to interpret the messages from dreams are a big part of, of the practice, not only of the training of the depth hypnosis practitioners, but of the development of the clients and students in depth hypnosis. Mm. So, you know, what do I do? Do I watch my dreams? Do I meditate? Do I do a journey? Like, do, what do I do? You know, like, do I, you know, and I always say, you know, do a round robin, do a journey one day, meditation next day, dreams next day, you know, you know, like there's it, one path is not better than another yeah. in general. There are some issues that are better served by the journey first there are some issues that are better served by meditation first. There are some issues that are better served by the influx of light and sound through the energy medicine processes that are, mm -hmm. are where it's more suitable. But, and so, you know, that's why we have so many ways of working with the altered state, so many ways of finding paths to healing because every person is individual and every set of issues needs its own intervention. Mm, mm, so beautiful. you know we so we have these different tools that we can draw upon at any given time yeah that's incredible so is there a role i was as you were describing the you know the many facets of this process or the many options and tools i was wondering you know a lot of times shamanism is associated with plant medicine and you mentioned plant medicine before is there any role for plant medicine in depth hypnosis well, we don't uh, hold plant medicine circles or anything like that, okay. um, but um, mainly because they're illegal here in the <laughs> States. <laughs> you know, if they were legal, we would be doing it, I promise you. <laughs> but, but um, you know, we have to be, you know, we have to live- You have to follow the law. The land, right, <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, but plant medicine is a very, very important aspect of shamanic practice in many, many parts of the world. And the plants themselves are teachers and they open doors of perception that are deep and profound. And one of the issues that we're having right now in the current time is there's this resurgence of interest in working with plants. And there are not a lot of people who know how to help people integrate the insights that they're receiving through the plant medicine. Yeah. And um, this is why we are developing this program here at the foundation of the sacred stream, which is called plant medicine integration counseling, where we are training counselors how to help people understand what the plants are teaching them. That's amazing. And, and the, it, when you have a coherent practice for being able to lay out what your experience has been with the plant, 
then there's a tremendous amount of further work that you can do from any given encounter with the plant. I always say it's, you know, there's a couple of things that I say about working with plants. One is that they open a window. They show you a possibility. They show you where you could be going with your consciousness, right? And sometimes the window that they open shines a light on aspects of yourself that may be aspects that you have been, been in denial about or don't want to know about. And that can be very disturbing. And a lot of time people shut down because yeah. of that. And that's the time you need to open. That's mm -hmm. the time you need to find someone like a, a insight integration counselor here at the foundation of the sacred stream to help you or a depth hypnosis in the process of depth hypnosis is a very good way of working with these shadow aspects that have emerged through the hypnosis processes that I just described or through the journey. And we can help the person integrate these aspects. And um, so, then, so then there's all this work that emerges out of any one plant session. And sometimes the window that's opened is quite beautiful and there's all of these potentials that the person perceives that they could fulfill. Yeah. But then when they come off of the plant, they can't hold it. Yeah. That's again, when the hypnosis, in-depth hypnosis, the journey in applied shamanism, the meditation practice in applied Buddhism, the work with energy medicine and the energy medicine program, that's when you bring to bear all of those tools and you bring it into, you open you use them to help reopen that window that the plant opened, and, but you give them the practices within whatever field is needed to be able to hold those insights, to be able to apply them to your everyday life, to be able to integrate them into your experience. So you don't have, you know, like this really miserable life that you live nine to five, Monday through Friday, and then you have this beautiful life that you live with the plants. Saturday and Sunday, right? You know, we want to have, you know, we want to have integration yeah. Yeah. so that people, so that people can actually embody the wisdom that the plants are imparting yeah. in a more cohesive, coherent, organized way so that their realities change deeply and authentically so that they can then begin to offer their gifts to the world in a way that is more satisfying for them and more enriching to the world. Wow. Yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so happy to hear that we're doing that work of integration because my one experience, I hope to have more, but my one experience with plant medicine, ayahuasca was what it was similar. I sort of came back and, and I had, you know, a lot of wonderful experiences. And of course the framework of my own spiritual and philosophical study gave me some kind of, you know, some kind of framework to, to process it. But I definitely, you know, but what I was trying to share with people around me, and of course they were excited for what was a very exciting experience for me, but they didn't really have any, any way of interacting with me about it because the experience wasn't something that they could necessarily, you know, relate to. Um, although, I, of course, I know some people who have done it as well. But, but still, it, 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 to, to have somebody who sort of has tools to allow one to kind of make sense of the various, you know, visions or emotions or 
sadnesses or whatever it is that's going to arise it would have been you know incredibly helpful <laughs> well let me know if you want to do a session <laughs> yeah no i do no i think this is such a you know we're getting to the end of our time and it's been such a wonderful and fascinating conversation and i think um many many people who listen to this podcast are going to be totally inspired by the work that you're doing and and will probably be reaching out to you so um, and I and I hope to too. I'm like, gosh, I gotta go to get over to San Francisco and spend some time with Isa. Give myself <laughs> a over. shamanic journeying practice. <laughs> yes, come on over. <laughs> so, um, so Isa, just before we close, you know, based on all the things we said and and the and you know the many things that we've covered, is there anything specific that you'd like to a note you'd like to end on or something you'd like to touch upon that we haven't addressed? Well, you know, you mentioned that you're going to be at the SAND conference um, mm -hmm. in October, and I, I think um, it's wonderful that your listeners find out about the SAND conference. This is a science and non-duality conference that's held in San Jose every year. Mm -hmm. And um, the organizers really go to a lot of effort to bring together luminaries that are working on the edge of knowledge of spirit and science mm -hmm. and it's a very inspiring a very inspiring uh gathering and um i'll be actually presenting there again this year with robert thurman dr robert thurman yes and we'll be actually presenting on in a pre-conference workshop we'll be presenting on um shamans and siddhas so it's that intersection between shamanism and and buddhism and so uh, you know this seems to be a very big source of interest for your your audience so they they may want to come to that workshop but of course robert thurman is an amazing yes amazing teacher and he will actually be here in at the sacred stream center on september 9th in a joint um, event with Matthew Fox, who you may know is uh, excommunicated. He was excommunicated by the Catholic Church for his efforts to try to reform the church. Mm. And um, they will both be speaking on cultivating peace in difficult times. And um, I will be moderating that panel. Um, again, I just wrote a book called Coming to Peace, which Coming is about... Peace. It's about conflict resolution, and it's about resolving conflict within ourselves and with others. And um, I would like to mention that to your, uh, to your listeners um, as a resource for helping with this inner dialogue of negativity that we talked about that, uh, that might be helpful for them. Mm. So there's, can they find there's, that on Amazon? Can they find that they book on Amazon? On, they can Wonderful. find that book on Amazon, yeah. Excellent. And I'll be... If they're here in the San Francisco Bay Area, I'll be doing a reading on Saturday the um, 5th at 3 p.m. at Crystal Way on Market Street. And I'll be doing readings throughout the Bay Area um, in the coming months. And if people are interested and they want me to come and do a reading in their town, or you know, if you can get 10 people together and have me come teach the journey or depth hypnosis, I'll come. You Excellent. Know, I'm, I'm really interested in helping people evolve and become happier. And, you know, I, I really strongly believe in the power of this work. And, you know, I know there's many other forms of consciousness uh, raising and many paths to spirit, but this particular one is one, of course, that I love and yeah. I love sharing with other people. So. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, uh, hopefully we can get you over here in New York. I know there's okay. probably a lot of people that would be interested in this. So, Actually, I do teach in New York every year with Robert Thurman. Yes, oh, at, at Menlaw, at his mountain. Uh, it's called Menlaw Mountain Retreat. And it's in the Catskills. It's the most amazing uh, retreat center because it's in the bottom 
of a meteor crater. Wow. And so you've got a very interesting experience of nature and sort of vibratory uh, experience yeah. as well. And I'll be teaching, uh, I teach embracing the sacred feminine with him, which I'll be teaching every spring with him. And then I'll be teaching the more extended class on shamans and siddhas at Menla in, um, in this October coming up at, on the Columbus Day weekend. Mm. So if you're on the East Coast, come on over. Was that the same um, retreat that Krishna Das was at recently? Yes. Oh, yes. you were you were there as well. I wasn't there, but okay. Bob, Bob was there. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I saw that on a on a Facebook Live uh, 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 channel. So that's cool. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, if you have any other, you know, um, workshops or anything, other retreats coming up that you want to share or that comes to you, you could always email me and let me know, and I'll share those with the audience. Okay, yeah, just real quickly, depth hypnosis yes. is coming up next week. So anybody hears this now, it'll start starting, I don't know, this may not get up on your feed right away, but August, um, starting a week from today. So that's uh, August uh, 7th, 8th uh, mm -hmm. through 13th. The seven-day training in depth hypnosis is happening at the Sacred Stream Center in Berkeley. Excellent. All right, well, I'll be sure, if we don't get the, the podcast posted, I'll be sure to share that on our social media as well. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure, Isa. It's been really nice chatting with you and hope you have a, a wonderful rest of your day. Yes, it's wonderful chatting with you, Jacob. So nice to meet you and I look forward to seeing you at SAND.